If you'll stand with me, we're going to read a section of God's Word, John 19. I remember um, a time in my life when things seemed out of control. This was in a, in a time of, of struggle and difficulty in a former church I pastored. But God worked in the middle of that situation and brought our church to a place of revival. I can remember when things seemed out of control with my daughter being sick. And been over a year with no diagnosis and seemed out of control. But God was at work in the middle of that situation and he is in work in the middle of your situation. If you're a child of God here today, the Bible says all things, God makes all things work together for good to them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. Uh, we need that assurance in our lives, that knowledge that God is with us and working in those difficult times of life. Uh, this is perhaps the most difficult time that the disciples ever experienced the time when their, their Lord, their Master, was taken from them, falsely accused, falsely tried, falsely convicted, abused, led to a cross, and ultimately put to death for their sin. They didn't understand it all. They knew that he had predicted his death, but uh, the full meaning was, was unclear. And things seemed out of control, but even in this situation when everything seems out of control, God is in control. And God is working for his purpose. We're going to see how that takes place. We need to trust in those times of life where things are dark and things don't make sense. We need to trust that God is at work in our circumstances and bringing about his purpose. The time of message is realizing God is in control. Look with me at John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and threw a purple robe around him. And they repeatedly came up to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him outside to you to let you know that I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple police saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, take him and crucify him yourselves, for I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law, he must die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, you're not talking to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given to you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate made every effort to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside. He sat down on the judge's bench in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. 
It was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about 6 in the morning. He told the Jews, here is your king. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. So then because of them, he handed him over to be crucified. Therefore they took Jesus away, carrying his own cross. He went out to what is called Skull Place, which is in Hebrew called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign lettered and put on the cross. The inscription was, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. They did this to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to his disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge of water a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews did not want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and their bodies taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they did not break his legs, since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified, so that you may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth. For these things happened that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. Also another scripture says they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took the body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Then they took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with aromatic spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation and since the tomb was nearby. You can be seated. Realizing God is in control. So you look at what happens, it seems like there's anything but control in this situation. It seems like it's ruled by fear. It seems like it's ruled by politics. 
It seems like it's ruled by people struggling against each other and the, the, the outcome is out of control. But Pilate, eventually, who wants to release Jesus, is being opposed by the Jewish leadership who say, hey, look, if you are friendly with this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. And Pilate knew what that meant. If they reported on him that uh, he had supported a man who had opposed to Caesar, Pilate could be killed. And so the fear of being killed outweighed his sense of Jesus' innocence, and he delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Uh, but as he does so, even in the events that he takes, and th- that he does, he sends Jesus to be flogged, and put, has the crown of thorns and the purple robe put upon him, and brings him out, not only to make a pathetic figure of Jesus so that perhaps they'll release him, but also... Uh, to kind of jab the Jews because he's saying, here is your king. He's, he's kind of making fun of them. And so uh, they cry out for his crucifixion. And then, ultimately, Pilate delivers him over. But he writes the king of the Jews, or he has one of his servants do it. And they attach that to the cross. And in those days, you would die for the sentence that was attached to the cross the king of the Jews. Now, he was doing this to mock the Jews. He was doing this to get one final jab because he knew he had to do what they wanted or he would be in trouble. So he was trying to get a jab in at them. But God was in control. Uh, The first thing you need to do and to recognize when your life seems out of control is remember God's power. Remember God's power. Now, why had Jesus come? Jesus had come to redeem them, for sure. Jesus had also come to be their king. They rejected him as their king. God, through this series of circumstances, announces and writes in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that everybody going by would recognize what it says, the king of the Jews. God was giving a message to the Jewish people. This is the king of the Jews. God was in control. Jesus Jesus says at one point he's being silent. By the way, a fulfillment of prophecy. Isaiah 53 says he'll be silent like a lamb being led to slaughter. Jesus is silent, won't answer Pilate's question. And Pilate uh, says, don't you know that I have the authority to condemn you, to set you free? He says, you don't have any authority, but what is given to you from above? Jesus recognized the power of God. As he was being mocked, as he was being struck, all of these things, Jesus knew the purpose of God. And he set his face to the cross. He remembered the power of God. I want you to know that God is able to take a situation and use it for his good purpose. Um, Not only did Jesus um, receive the title of the king of the Jews, but he also went to the cross to redeem us. What a powerful work God did on the cross to redeem all of mankind. God was powerfully at work in Jesus' circumstance. Remember that. When you're going through a difficult time, remember God's power. You remember Moses standing on the bank of the Red Sea? 
And God says, lift up your staff and I'll part the waters and you'll go across on dry ground. And I'm sure Moses must have had a thought for a second. Did I just hear you right, God? Lift up my rod and you're going to make a way through the sea? Yes, he lifted his rod. What did God do? He made a way through the sea. And they all crossed. All two million Israelites passed. And then the Egyptians followed and God closed the sea over them and took care of the army as well. Remember God's power. Joshua, standing before Jericho, these fortified walls that went as high as they could see. And and all of this, this difficulty in defeating this great city, they weren't trained militarily. They they didn't have any experience. And yet God says, I'm going to deliver Jericho into your hands and walk around the city once a day for seven days. And then on the seventh day, seven times around, Blow the trumpet, shout, the walls will come down, I'll give you the victory. I'm sure Joshua must have said, did I hear that right? God, but God did exactly as he promised. Remember God's power. Jesus said, I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'll be raised. That's God's power. Remember God's power When you are in the middle of a difficult circumstance and nothing makes sense. God restored Job. Job had such a great difficulty. All of his kids in in one day were killed. Can you imagine the pain that must have brought to his soul? All of his possessions were lost. Everything seemed out of control and then his friends came to give him counsel. And finally they began to accuse him of wrongdoing and Everything was going crazy and everything seemed to be lost and forsaken in Job's life. But James says, remember the end of what happened to Job. God restored him twice as much as all he had. Gave him more children and greatly, richly blessed him. And Job said at the end, I had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. God has the power to bring you out of the circumstance or to carry you through it. And he carried Jesus through this circumstance and then ultimately also brought him out. And by the way, remember this. No matter what circumstance you're in, one day Jesus is going to bring you out. The trumpet's going to sound and the dead are going to rise and we'll be caught up together to meet them in the air. This life is a vapor and eternity is forever. No sorrow, no crying, no pain. Rewards for what we've done for Jesus. Remember God's power. Realizing what God is in control. How do we recognize that? Well, first of all, remember God's power. Secondly, remember God's word. Remember God's word. Verse 23 talks about the soldiers dividing Jesus' garments. And verse 24 says, So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it. To see who gets it. In other words, let's, uh, it's similar to rolling the dice, you know, and we'll see who gets, gets it. He says, or flipping a coin. He says, they divided my clothes among them and they cast lots for my clothing. This was a scripture that predicted in Psalm 22 that the Messiah would have his clothing bedded on. That's what they did. They cast lots for his clothing. God fulfilled his word. Um, in verses 28 and 29, Jesus is thirsty. They give him a sop of, of this old vinegar, which is what they often did to add to the torture of the crucifixion. And 
fulfilled a Bible prophecy that they would give gall to the Savior for his thirst. If you look over in verses 35 uh, and 36, especially verse 36, they, they broke the bones of the two thieves on either side of Jesus uh, because that speeded up the death and they had to get them off before the Sabbath began. And so uh, they did that, but they recognized Jesus was dead and so instead the soldier pierced his side, which was a way to tell if they were dead and the blood and water came out and confirmed what was happening. But also, in this simple circumstance, prophecy was fulfilled. Verse 36 says, not one of his bones will be broken. Jesus' bones were not broken like the other men's were. It also says they will look at the one they pierced. And they saw him there, having been pierced. God's word was standing. By the way, Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God planned in eternity past that Jesus would come to redeem mankind. It was not a surprise to God. Matter of fact, it was the plan of God's word, the prediction of God's word, and God's word was being carried out in the middle of the circumstance. Can I tell you, God's word cannot fail. It is an anchor that we can build our lives upon. Um, Remember God's promises when you're in the dark place. When things don't make sense, hold to the promises of God. Cling to the promise of God. I will never leave you or forsake you. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Uh, Many are the promises of God's word. Ask God for wisdom. All of these things. But set your life upon the promise of God and on the word of God and trust the word of God, not what you see around you in your circumstance. God called Peter. Jesus called Peter to come on the water. What did Peter do? He got out of the boat. He's walking on water. How cool is that? He listened to the word of Jesus. Jesus said, come. And and so he's walking. He's doing something he's never done before. Walking on the water. And then all of a sudden, he starts looking around him. He loses perspective. He hears the wind. He sees the waves. He sees the storm. How can this happen? And he begins to sink. His faith wavers. Jesus, he says, help. Jesus reaches down and pulls him up. But can I tell you something? You and I are often the same way. We see the circumstances of life seem things out of control. Everything seems hard, difficult, seems like God has forsaken us, and we forget the promise of God. Remember God's word when you're going through a difficult time. Hold on to it as an anchor for your soul. One scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. Remember God's word. Realizing God is in control, how do we recognize this? Remember God's power, remember God's word, remember God's love. This is a precious truth. Look at verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. 
I'm so glad that John includes this detail for us. Um, the other Gospels omit this. You know, they had limited space, and so they include different details. But John includes this detail. What does this detail tell us about Jesus? Think about this for a second. Jesus had just gone through a scourging. Many people died from the scourging. Jesus has, has been beaten. He's been mocked. He's, he's spikes driven through his wrists, the bottom of his hand and, and his feet. He's suffering intensely. Our, our word excruciating comes from the word that means to crucify. Uh, he's going through this incredible pain, and yet Jesus is still thinking of somebody else. He's thinking of his mother. And he tells John, here's your mom. He tells Mary, here's your son. And John takes her into his home and he cares for her as if she were his own mother. Jesus was providing for her. When everything seemed out of control, when it seemed like God had no power, when it seemed like everything was defeat, Jesus was meeting her need in the midst of her circumstance. I can't imagine what it must be like to see your own son or daughter die before your eyes. The pain of that must, must be excruciating. And yet in the middle of Mary's pain, Jesus is caring for her need. I want you to know that no matter what pain, no matter what difficulty you go through in your life, your Savior loves you. And he will provide your need in the middle of your circumstance. Uh, there will never be a time that's too dark where Jesus will say, Oh, I don't have time to think about you. I'm going to take care of my own stuff. No, Jesus will be there every single moment uh, to meet your need. Remember God's love. Jesus demonstrates God's love because not only did he go to the cross willingly, but he also... Um, cares for others. You remember what he says and uh, he says, Father forgive them for they know not what they do. The other gospels records that. Um, he's thinking of others. He's on the cross. When he, I would be thinking, boy, these nails are painful. Boy, how am I going to get out of this mess? You know, I would have been thinking about all, all kinds of different things probably except for somebody else. But Jesus is thinking for somebody else. That's the love of God. There's nothing that could ever come in your life that can quench God's love for you. Never forget that. Remember God's love, and it will help you recognize that he is in control. There have been times in my own life where uh, I'm suffering, going through one thing or another, and God will bring some little encouragement into my life. Some little prayer answered, or some little thing Oftentimes, sometimes it's a big thing, but oftentimes it's just a little thing. And it reminds me of his love for me. Another thing you can do to remember God's love when you are going through a difficult time is to begin to thank him for what he's done in the past. I remember the years of the right hand of the Most High, one of the psalmists says. I remember what God did in the past. I remember God's blessings. I remember the answered prayer. I remember how God forgave my sin. I remember all these things. And as I do, what happens is God changes my heart. And I have a heart of worship in the midst of my circumstance. And I draw near to God and he draws near to me. And comforts my heart. So remember God's love. 
So remember God's power, remember God's love, remember God's word, and finally remember God's purpose. Remember God's purpose. Look at verse 35. He who saw this has testified. By the way, John doesn't use his own name when he talks about himself in the Gospel of John. So he's he's talking about himself. He who saw this, in other words, John, has testified. Why? So that you also may believe. His testimony is true and he knows he's telling the truth. Now, he has testified so that you may believe. John is sharing this story so we can believe, but Jesus lived this story so that we could believe. That's the purpose of God. There was a purpose. The greatest injustice in history. The most pure, spotless human being to ever live, condemned and put to death, is the fulfillment of God's greatest purpose. God has a purpose in everything that you go through. First Peter says it this way. For a time, we are grieved by these various trials if it is necessary. You see, everything that comes to us has to come through the filter of God's permission as a child of God. And so, what God allows, he has a reason for. Don't forget, God doesn't cause the sin of others. God doesn't cause the sin uh, of these soldiers who, who are putting Jesus to death uh, unjustly. He didn't cause Pilate to condemn him. He didn't cause the high priest to condemn him. But guess what? God used their own decision and their own sin for God's good purpose. And God can do the same in your life. And he will. God has a purpose in everything that he allows in us. The Bible says in Psalm 139, all of our days are written in his book before one of them came to be. Think about that for a moment. God says, okay, I have this day set aside for Roger Pugh. Then this day. Some days, you know, you wonder, did anything happen of worth today? You know what I'm saying? And uh, how could God possibly use this day? But God has a purpose in every day he allows us to live. Written in his book before one of them came to be. God's purpose began with our birth. It continues with our salvation. Uh, He gives us spiritual gifts to fulfill his purpose for us. The Bible says we are his workmanship, the result of what he has done, uh, prepared for good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has a purpose for you, and he's got a purpose for me, regardless of what may be going on in our lives. Uh, We can see also... God's purpose is confirmed by the fact that the scripture is fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. They'll look on him whom they have pierced. But look at verse 38. Joseph of Arimathea, verse 39, Nicodemus. Joseph of Arimathea was a Christian secretly because of fear of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus probably was as well. In other words, they're a member of the body that just called out for Jesus to be put to death. But they believe in Jesus secretly. They're afraid to make it public. And so through Jesus' death, these guys come out of the closet, so to speak, for Jesus. And say, look, 
we are going to willingly put our own lives at risk to give Jesus a proper burial. And so God uses this to help them be more bold in their faith and help them grow in their faith. Um, He's at work in the life. But he's also, even in doing this, again, fulfilling prophecy. Because they put him in a garden tomb. Look at verse uh, 41. There's a garden, the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. Yet no one had been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish preparation since the tomb was nearby. The Jewish preparation, some believe, was the preparation for the Sabbath when they were going to kill the Passover lambs. Others believe it was the preparation day for the Sabbath within the Passover week. Um, But either way, they were trying to get them off the cross and taken care of quickly because the the day was coming that they were going to celebrate. And, uh, And the tomb is nearby. Now, you look at these practical issues, and it's just they're doing something because it's practical to do it, and they need to do it that way. But in so doing, they fulfill the words of prophecy. Isaiah 53 says he would be buried with the rich in a tomb in, a, in the garden, within a rich man's tomb in a garden. Guess what? Joseph of Arimathea was in the Sanhedrin. He was a wealthy man. Um, his tomb was in a garden with wealthy people. <laughs> and um, Jesus is placed there out of convenience, but no, it's under the sovereign hand of Almighty God. God is in control from beginning to end through all of these circumstances. God is in control. Realizing that God is in control can set you free. Life doesn't always happen as we expect it to, does it? Our plans sometimes fall through. Sometimes the things that we want to enjoy don't materialize. Uh, Other times uh, a family member may die unexpectedly. Uh, We may have all kinds of things going on in our lives that we don't expect. But if you recognize that God is in control, you can, even though these things are painful, even though they're hard, you can recognize that God's purpose will be fulfilled. Can I tell you something? The chief priests tried to put a guard at Jesus' tomb, but they couldn't stop the resurrection. Pilate couldn't stop it. The Romans couldn't stop it. No one could stop it. It was the sovereign power of God. When Jesus took that life back, the Father granted that life back, the Spirit provided that life back. In that moment of time, in the tomb, hell itself couldn't stop Jesus Christ. God's purpose would be fulfilled. I want you to know something. This present momentary suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. That's what the scripture says. In a moment of time, Christ is going to come back. God's purpose will be fulfilled and hell itself can't stand against it. I want you to know something. God has a purpose for your life. He has a purpose and is using even the suffering and difficulty you're going through to fulfill his purpose for your life. Recognize that he's in control. Remember his power, his word, his love, and his purpose for your life. And trust him in the middle of it. And you will find that God can resurrect you in your spirit and give you the strength to carry on. But ultimately, he will resurrect you. Uh, Sometimes through the deliverance of circumstance, but ultimately... 
to the deliverance in Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word.